It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As uh, we welcome you along to the programme, yesterday was very much uh, a day for the Ashleen Murphy's family in uh, Offaly. Another very sad day for them, even though I suppose every day for the last year has been a day filled with uh, sadness. Yesterday was the first anniversary of her death and it's hard to believe that she is already gone a a year. But I suppose for her family, um, they, they have had every single one of those days has been filled with grief and sadness. And it's according to reports in the papers today, more than 100 people walked to uh, mem- to the memorial on the bank of the Grand Canal near Tullamore um, yesterday to the exact spot where she was killed exactly a year ago. Of course, she went to school uh, that day taught her little class and then decided being the the fit person that she was and trying to really get fit after Christmas she decided that she'd jog home and that's what put her on the Grand uh, Canal on that uh, fateful afternoon last year and seemingly all day yesterday people were placing flowers at the memorial and many of those who attended the vigil did the same uh, yesterday reflecting in in silence before some well-wishers with musical instruments decided to play a selection of uh, traditional tunes and um, I saw that her dad Ray joined in that musical tribute uh, he playing on the banjo and of course Ashley was an accomplished traditional musician herself and her instrument of choice was the fiddle and the Murphy family have found have founded the Ashleen Murphy Memorial Fund uh, which is investing in the advancement of traditional Irish arts culture and heritage but it was her partner Ray Casey who posted a really gorgeous loving tribute on the Memorial Fund's social media pages yesterday where he addressed Ashleen as his soulmate and he said time can move at a pace which can be impossible to comprehend but one thing for sure is no matter how fast time may pass there isn't a single second that goes by where my heart doesn't ache for you. And of course, a man has been charged with the murder of Ashley Murphy and that case is due before the courts in uh, June of this year. And that's going to be another very difficult time for the Murphy family and for Ryan, her partner, and for her very close uh, friends. So, such such a sad, sad tra- tragedy because she was a young woman with so much to give. 0818103103 and housing seems to be all over the papers today and lack thereof of uh, housing. Cork City Centre and the Cork City suburbs are among some of the areas around the country where there are no 
properties available for people on any form of HAP. That's the housing assistant payment. And this is according to the latest report, the Locked Out report, which is conducted a number of uh, times a year by the Simon Communities of uh, Ireland. The report, uh, which is published today, comes amid record levels of homelessness. There's now 11,542 people, and many of them are children living in emergency accommodation. That's according to the last month's data. That's the last available figure that's out. And of the properties open to those who are entitled to a HAP payment in the latest report. Only 40 fell under discretionary HAP limits only and there was only one property available to register under a standard HAP rate and that was a one-bedroomed property in County Kildare that's deemed suitable for uh, singles or for a uh, couple. So certainly wouldn't have been suitable for a family. So just 41 properties nationwide for people who are on the HAP payment desperately trying to register. Uh, rent and of course I read another article in the papers that that's straight away you think could this be one of the main reasons for the lack of available properties to rent could it be down to the fact that four in ten house sales were due to landlords exiting the market in the final three months of last year huge numbers of properties being sold are buy to lets according to a survey of estate agents. Most of the estate agents expect that the buy to lets being sold will not be replaced into the rental market. It's going to put more pressure on the rental costs, but the people that are going desperately scrambling to try to buy those houses are going to move into them themselves. The survey found that the popular new three bedded semis are so expensive that they simply remain out of reach for a large number of first time buyers. Now will be first time buyers on the average salary. So they're the people who are desperately scrambling to try to buy some of these what are now buy to lets once they go up on the market. Estate agents say the trend of second hand buy to let properties coming on the market was evident right throughout 2022 but a very much ramped up uh, in the last quarter of uh, the year. And like some of that is down to landlords are just saying that they're find, finding compliance with renting house standards simply too uh, erroneous. Others are saying that the net rental return is simply too low and you've people who we've often referred to as accidental landlords. They never planned on becoming landlords feeling that this is just, just too much. There's too, it's too complex. It's too restrictive in nature. So they're opting to get out and to cut their losses. And the trend of private landlords exiting the market has, of course, serious implications now for the supply of the rental properties and that would very much tie in in the locked out survey from uh, from Simon and the Society of Chartered Surveyors they're also reporting that the supply of available units to rent is at one of the lowest levels ever and they do not believe the situation is going to improve in the short term which certainly is not good news for that over 11,500 people who currently find themselves homeless and living in emergency accommodation. And when you look at those figures of those number of people that are homeless, 
And then you hear the Taoiseach yesterday and he has been called out for what can only be described as a tone deaf comment about homeless people. Leo Varadkar yesterday. Now, I don't know what the, was he asked about the, 11 and, the record 11,500 homeless people. I'm, I'm assuming he was. He was asked to, uh, about it and asked for his views on it. And he said it's important to say that when we hear about over 11,000 people being homeless, some people believe that that means they're living on the streets so they're living in tents. He says it is not the case. These are all people who are being provided with emergency accommodation by the state. It's just that they don't have a secure tenancy. He said, I, I think that's important to bear in uh, mind. And of course, a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon when they heard Leo Varadkar uh, saying that. I mean, the Social Democrats were out. They were the ones who said this is tone deaf because it's failing to recognise the highest ever number of people being homeless and living in emergency uh, accommodation. And remember, people who are living in emergency accommodation, OK, they're not thankfully on the streets. They're not thankfully living in a tent, but they're living in hotels. They're living in B&Bs. They're living in uh, hostels. They still don't have a front door and a house to go into every day and a house that they can call their own. Sinn Féin spokesperson on housing, Owen O'Brien, said that if the Taoiseach feels that people should be grateful for emergency accommodation, it shows just out of touch, the, how, how out of touch the man really is. Uh, and he also pointed out that there are, of course, rough, st- rough sleepers. Um, I don't know if we've got an, an accurate number, but there are and will always be people who will not go into homeless accommodation and will not go into emergency accommodation. So we will always have people sleeping on the streets and we will unfortunately always have people uh, sleeping in uh, tents. But when we're talking about 11,500 people who are homeless and yes they have they, they have a roof over their head but their roof over their head is a hotel or a B&B or um, a hostel. Remember we have whole families who are sharing a room in these um, emergency accommodation and unfortunately some of that have been doing it for uh, years and in the midst of all of those figures there are children and you know it'll be I suppose quite because we've never had this record number of children whose families are trying to raise them in hotel rooms and God knows the psychological effect and harm it's going to do on those children going forward and anybody help here please Mary and Timmy League has been on to us uh, to say that there is a young 12 year old little girl from the Ukraine living next door to Mary in Timaleague and this young 12 year old girl is hugely into arts and crafts so Mary would love if somebody had a small sewing machine that they're not using anymore now she doesn't want a complicated one but a sort of a very simple one that a 12 year old would be able to operate and she could use for her little arts and crafts if anybody would be willing to donate to this little 12 year old Ukrainian girl would make a huge huge difference uh, to her and what a lovely hobby and a pastime to have for her so if anybody can help us with that Mary is in the Timaliga area ideally somebody close so that we can put you in contact with Mary and, and get you to drop it to Mary or Mary can meet you somewhere to collect it so if anyone can help us if anybody has a, a a not complicated, a simple enough sewing machine that they're not using anymore and would be willing to pass it on to us. Give us a call, please. John Paul, taking your calls. 0818 103 103. And thank you to Kathleen in Clonakilty who sent in a thank you to us here at C103. She won tickets to the Panto and she said she had a great night on Wednesday. Good to hear. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.
rte.ie. With accident and emergency departments suffering severe overcrowding, with last week we were reporting record numbers on trolleys waiting for a hospital bed, many people were shocked to hear me mention this week that as many as 599 patients are languishing in wards deemed fit for discharge, but because of a lack of a suitable step-down facility, these patients remain in hospital. To discuss the issue in more detail, I'm joined by Ty Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes um, Ireland. Good morning to you, Ty. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Ty. You're welcome to the programme. Now, nearly, Thank fi- you nearly 50 of those patients of the 599 have been ready for discharge for at least six months. Have you any understanding of how that can happen? Somebody can remain in a hospital bed for six months. Yeah, look at it. I'm sure your listeners will be looking at this incredulously. I suppose at the outset, it's important to say that we're talking about real people here with, with, with complex care needs. So, uh, you know, it is complex. There's no simplistic answer. But I suppose the point that we're making is that there are a significant number of people in hospital who should be out in the community. We continuously hear about the policy of Shalon to care and reorientating the health service from acute to community. Um, and that's the point that we were making this week because there is such capacity there within nursing homes and indeed within home care because you know there's no one size uh, fits all we need to you know put a package of care in place to meet the individual needs of those of those people but i know from speaking with the hse just uh, yesterday evening uh, that there was 217 discharges to nursing homes just in the last number of days and i suppose to, to be specific on your question those that are there long term you know there are challenges there it might be ward of court Uh, There may be some legal issues there, or indeed there may be a a challenge in terms of a placement, a suitable placement, so that either the nursing home or a mental health facility, for example, would have the the, the capability, if you like, of meeting the the care needs of that individual. Okay, so, but that's, yeah, and that is... 50 of the 599 there's still yes. 550 deemed fit for a uh, discharge now i know you've been ringing around your own members yes. y- your members do have availability including some of your members here in cork yeah absolutely i mean what we what we did uh, you know i suppose we see nursing home care as part of a, a well-functioning health service as i've said on many occasions um and look i think it's important to say that discharges happen every day to nursing homes um through fair deal and indeed through transitional care but in a time of peak demand for acute hospital services the point we'd make is that the nursing or the hse rather should be more proactive in october november december leading up to it and actually contracting beds in the private and voluntary nursing home sector so that we're prepared for this spike you know, look, we all know that January is a difficult time in the health service. It happens, uh, every, it happens every year, but nothing like what we're seeing this year. No, absolutely. But I suppose, what, you know, we can't keep doing the same thing and, and expecting a different result. So that's why what we need to is be, is be more proactive in, in our planning. But just to answer your specific question, I mean, we have uh, 57 nursing homes across Cork City and County, and, and 46 of those responded to our survey uh, with 187 beds available in Cork alone. Now, I think it's important to say that they're not at every crossroads, obviously, and for some people it may mean travel to a nursing home not of their first choice. Um, But I would say to people that, you know, if your acute care needs are met, the last place you should be, in my mind, is in an an overcrowded, busy, uh, acute hospital you should be out literally in a nursing home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you always run the risk in in hospitals of uh, picking up a hospital-acquired infection as well, the longer you're there. 
Absolutely, hospital-acquired infection, but also if, if you know people do degenerate for the ones with that award. You know, you know if, if they're not mobile, if they're not active, um, you know their condition does deteriorate the longer you are in hospital. We all know if you spend a few days in bed, even with a flu or a cold yourself, it takes you a few days to get over it because yeah. you know your condition has has weakened. Yeah. So yeah. that's why it's important. You know that if you're out in nursing homes, there's activities. Um, you have visitors, obviously. Um, so it's a much more, I suppose, social care um, approach rather than an acute medical care okay. approach. Is, so there, is there a direct link between our hospitals and the local nursing homes? I mean, is there a lot of contact? Would the, all of the hospitals be aware of the, those beds, that 187 beds that are available today yeah, in Cork to, nursing homes? Yeah, well, to be fair, there, there is ongoing communication there. Um, but I, I, I suppose, you know, what happens from time to time is, is that once the bed fills, then obviously people move on to another nursing home and, uh, you know, it, may, it might not be, as I said, the first choice. Of people. Um, so th- there is ongoing communication, but I suppose the point we'd make, as I say, is that if you were contracting beds, I mean, I listened with, with very carefully to the lady in Waterford a number of weeks ago who spoke about the fact that there were 1,000 days without, without trolleys in there, any, any, and she made the point that they had sourced off-site nursing home beds two years previous. So my understanding, and we've seen that in some parts of the country where they would engage with local nursing homes and have either two, three, four or five beds actually paid for and ready for discharge at any given time so that there is, um, I suppose, a constant flow, if you like, of people from the acute hospital to the nursing home. Uh, And then the person in the nursing home could be, they could transition to long stay or they could indeed be rehabbed and obviously go back home with a mm. home care package or with some adaptations to their house. So, um, you know, sometimes people think of nursing homes as all long stay. Uh, very That's often not the case, many, yeah. And no. so, sometimes people just may, maybe need a bit of respite. They might need just to go in for two weeks as they Correct. transition from acute hospital care to, to going uh, back home. I saw last week a suggestion that recently closed nursing homes could reopen to help with the current crisis. Is, is that a runner? I don't think so, unfortunately. Um, you know, once you lose your registration with HICWA, uh, there's a fairly rigorous, as you would expect, process of re-registration. Um, so the, the prospect of some of those reopening as, as a nursing home in terms of a landscape home uh, are, you know, a long shot in my mind. Yeah, because, well, straight away when I mentioned that, uh, that I'd read about that in the papers last week, um, I'd flurry a cause in from people saying, and who's going to staff it? I mean, staffing, yeah. staffing is an ongoing issue, isn't it? The recruitment and the retention of uh, staff. It's, it's a problem not just in the private sector, but it's also in the public sector. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I've said that in a number of years now that, you know, workforce is the single biggest challenge. Even if we had, I mean, we talk about a new elective hospital in Cork, for example, uh, there are some new nursing homes being built, not enough. But even if we had all those beds and buildings, what we need is is a caring, committed staff to be able to uh, provide that care. Um, I mean, clearly we're very dependent and very grateful for the nurses from overseas who come and work in the sector. Um, we've worked with Griffith College this year and the National Apprenticeship Council on, on apprenticeships in, in respect of care assistance. So, um, you know, the, the challenge of, of recruiting caring staff is going to be the single biggest challenge in 2023, even if we had all of the money. And I see that in home care, for example. I mean, there are significant numbers waiting for home care. 
and the issue there is they don't have the staff to be able to, to deliver it. Um, yeah, I'm only, so and, uh, today the latest figure out is 6,059 and in the main they're elderly people um, on home care waiting lists. Waiting list. I mean mm-hmm. that's, we, you know, the HSE, you know, that we have a crisis in, in our care numbers and they're spiralling out of control. Absolutely. I mean, of those 500 you mentioned, uh, my understanding is about 220 of those are determined for long-term care and about 90 uh, for home care. But the challenge in home care is, I suppose, is there's a huge amount of what I would term unmet need because families are, are picking up the, the slack, as it were, and, um, you know, trying to provide care in, in, the, in, the best way, in the best way they can. So, I mean, look, we have an ageing population, as I've said before, and we should be celebrating that fact, but we need to, we need to plan for that. I mean, I was interested in reading... The North American Medical Board did a, a, a report just before Christmas on, on the numbers, um, you know, being recruited every year in, in terms of nursing. I mean, a significant number of nurses now, even when they qualify, don't stay in nursing. You know, they work in the pharmaceutical industry or work in GP practices, for example. So we've got to look at, I suppose, the attractiveness of working in whether it's acute hospitals or are indeed nursing homes. And we need to pay them properly. Mm. Um, and that's one of the challenges in the private sector. Um, well, I know as, certainly, as in, before. certainly in, in home care, I mean, a lot of people uh, talk about that, you know, the, the, the wages are, are very, very poor and conditions are bad. Well, and I mean, we struggle as well in the private nursing home sector because ultimately the government is the paymaster. So while government on the one hand says that we need to increase our, our um, terms and conditions and salaries, absolutely, we're well uh, up, for, up for that. But what we need is we need the fair deal to be able to uh, meet and, and indeed c- compete with the, uh, the hospital sector. I mean, the people who work in nursing homes are doing the very same work, whether it's public, private or voluntary, under the same standard. Uh, and our view is that un- un- until and unsitch we address that discrimination in funding, we're going to have a significant challenge in terms of workforce for the, for the months and years ahead. OK. And just finally, before I let you go, I think every single interview I do with you, I ask you about it. The pandemic bonus payment, mm. have you still got members waiting? A small number, no. I mean, to be fair, I think there has been quite a big push in uh, late November, early December. So my information is that a significant number now have been paid, but not all. There's still a number waiting, unfortunately. And we're coming up to the first anniversary of it being announced, aren't we? Correct, absolutely. The 19th of January last year, so it should be uh, next, next Thursday, in fact. So. Yeah, I think um, every time we have you on, we, we will get at least one call or a text or an email from somebody saying, I'm still waiting. It's just... Yeah, and we did, are, we did get on to the company in, in Northern Ireland who are administrating it. And, uh, you know, they're saying they're moving and they're doing the best that, that they can. But anyway, uh, hopefully everyone will get paid and soon. OK, listen, Tyke, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Indeed. And uh, thanks Good for morning, joining us. Morning to you. Bye bye. That is Ty Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. 0818103103. Uh, John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Last week on the programme, I spoke with Fianna Fáil Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan about the need to increase fines and penalties for people who cannot control their dogs. And that was in light of recent dog attacks on both humans and on livestock. Well, Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan once again joins me to discuss some welcome. Welcome to news on this front. Good morning to you, Borek. 
Morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, a working group has been uh, established. What issues do you know will, the, will this group examine? Yeah, look, that was very welcome news. And I suppose, look, while it is welcome, I suppose it shouldn't take, um, you know, instances or attacks like we witnessed in Wexford most recently to, to get those up and running. But at the same time, look, it is welcome. And um, it's going to involve both the Department of Agriculture and Rural Affairs. So it's going to be Heather Humphreys and Charlie McConlogue. Um, both ministers have set up that working group and will have input into it and it will kind of centre around the issue of licensing, fines, um, enforcement of existing legislation primarily. Uh, now, there is specifically no reference to any new legislation, but I'm assuming that will be looked at also. And is it important that both those departments are involved in this working group? Well, I think it is, um, because unfortunately... Dealing with dogs in particular, it actually crosses around three departments that I'm aware of. Um, now, it would be ideal if it could be centralised into one department because, unfortunately, that, that's what kind of goes wrong in an awful lot of times when we're implementing legislation that, you know, there's too many cooks spoil the broth almost. If there's too many departments involved, then, you know, others look and wait for others to pick up the slack, so to speak. So, ideally, I think it should be following the remit of one department, but um, dogs in particular primarily fall under the Department of, of Rural Affairs, so um, it's under Heather Humphrey's remit primarily, but with input from Charlie McConnell-Logue. Yeah, well, and, and agriculture, I'm assuming, because of the attack on livestock that we've seen. Yeah, in particular, that, that would be one of the main concerns there. Um, so as I said, look, that review group is coming together, I suppose. Ordinarily, when I hear the word review in physical circles, my heart sinks sometimes, and I hate to say that, but reviews often can go on for an awful long time. So that's what I would really stress here, that we need an urgent review. It needs to have, I think, a specific time limit that can be turned around quickly and come back with a series of recommendations that can be implemented as quickly as possible. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. And I and I saw you mention uh, the word in a press release that you, you know, you're fearful that it just becomes another talking shop. And, you know, that can happen. And... And then a report comes out and, and nothing happens to the report. So they've got to, I think you're right, they've got to respond quickly. And if it's, if it's new legislation is what we need, then push through that new legislation. Yeah, and look, part of me would like, you know, case-specific um, and direct legislation to deal with these very kind of, I suppose, serious attacks and heinous attacks that are happening. And most often um, because of irresponsible dog owners. But at the same time, you know, part of me says... If we actually just enforce what is already there, um, it would make, I suppose, public parks, public walkways, playgrounds and so on, an awful lot safer places. Like, um, there is legislation there which allows um, the DPP to prosecute uh, people under the Non-Fatal Offences to Persons Act. And I think that's what's being utilised, actually, or at least a file has been prepared with that in mind involving one of the dog owners in one of those more recent attacks. Um, but we don't hear that, I think, often enough. Um, and I think, you know, if we did, you know, we were talking about dog wardens the last day I was on and um, enforcing the fact that people have to have dogs microchipped, registered. It's, it's a legal obligation and to enforce that, to make sure that we have dog wardens that can enforce it. Yeah, uh, John and Glamour said, uh, welcome to news to hear that they're going to work on this uh, issue. But what we need to do in the meantime, we need to ensure that the existing laws are enforced. We simply do not have enough dog wardens. I mean, that's the crux of the problem, isn't it? Yeah, and I wasn't sure of the exact number the last day I was on, which uh, how many wardens we have. But I gave the case of Clare, where I think they have one or two. But in Cork, 
county, I understand the numbers around ten. Um, so but still we, we, nationally, we, yeah, but we've a huge county. Oh, it's massive, but even nationally, I think we've in total in the country we've about seventy wardens to cover uh, about two hundred thousand registered dogs. So look, as a ratio, that's about three and a half thousand dogs per ward and you know that's quite a big undertaking just to ensure that they're registered let alone go out and observe um i suppose their behaviors you know to police parks and, and other public areas so um you know it's quite a difficult job when, when you speak about resources i suppose and, and the under resourcing in, in those kind of numbers yeah i know following our, our chat with you last week uh Porrick, it kind of opened up a debate amongst listeners about uh, dogs that are licensed and dogs that are not uh licensed so we requested the figures on the number of dogs that you know who are owners you know every year go out and get their dog uh license and i was taken aback to see that we have more dogs licensed in county cork than across the three Dublin local authorities which have which would have triple our population I mean quite obviously there's more dogs in the Dublin greater Dublin area than actually people have dog license for I mean do we, does that need to be looked at people paying their dog license yeah but that goes back to the resourcing issue and the dog wardens that's one of the responsibilities of the local authorities and the wardens that work for them um, now look I'm not Specific, I'm not sure about the specifics and the comparison between Dublin and Cork. Look, Cork's more rural. Dublin has an awful, an awful lot of I suppose, high density living and, and apartments where people might not be or be precluded from owning pets. So I'm not necessarily sure that the numbers would correlate or if more rural areas would likely have you know higher numbers of animals or pets or dogs. Um, but definitely it comes back to resourcing. And if you don't have wardens that are out there, calling to the door, just like your TV licence inspector or whatever the case may be, and actually asking people, is that dog in your back garden or your front garden or your driveway licensed? And can, can I see your documentation? Unless we go to that level, I think that we're not going to really combat that. Um, but as I said, overall, like the legislation, there is actually sufficient legislation there, I think, to do an awful lot more. And if we concentrate on that... Um, I, I think we'd get far better outcomes. People would feel safer in our, in our public spaces. Yeah, and I'm assuming you saw the photographs, did you, of the little nine-year-old yeah. boy in County Wexford? God, it was, it's, a, it's horrific, isn't it, what happened to that little boy? Well, yeah, that's what sticks, I suppose, most of me, because I've got three small kids myself, three under three, and, um, you know, I, I think that when I was on the last time, which I spoke about how we've developed a new playground near to where we've lived here, and there was a big debate about whether we should erect a fence to keep dogs basically away from where the kids play, and when you see pictures like that, I suppose it brings it home to how things can change literally in the blink of an eye um, or in one moment where, you know, somebody loses control of an animal um, and it can have, you know, repercussions for those people in that family for the rest of their lives. Like that boy's life is forever changed. He went, um, he, went out, he went out to kick a football around the park with these little boys outside, with his friends outside his house. Yeah, and... Um, Look, while I don't like seeing knee-jerk reactions to things in politics just because something, you know, is prominent in the press, I think that we should be more active as legislators, as local authorities and all that. But if the one good thing that comes out of that, you know, very serious attack is that we actually seriously look down, review the legislation and powers that are there and actually come up with something that's far more productive than the existing system. Because, look, the existing system isn't work and working and in those statistics I gave earlier with 60 or 70 dog wardens working nationally, like, that's not... That's just not going to work. It just it, it, they can't be expected to police 
that number of animals to scrutinise puppies, farms and you know all the other bits and pieces that go with it outside of you know being on the beach or kind of you know in the community and monitoring animals. So I think we need to be realistic here. Okay, uh, Joe uh, is worried that the review you're talking about will just end up being another uh, talking shop. They need new ideas. They need to sort it out. It's gone crazy. Everywhere you go, you see dogs roaming around off the lead. Yeah, and I suppose look, that comes to backbenchers like myself and it comes to opposition TDs as well to make sure that the review isn't just, as I said, a knee-jerk reaction and a box tick and it needs to be meaningful. Um, and so far, it, it sounds to me like it will be meaningful. And I suppose to tarnish that, Michal Martin has given a commitment that he wants a full review. Um, and I know it's from speaking with Minister McConnell Logan from his part as well. He has looked at, in the last 12 months, even prior to this incident in Wexford, he has been looking at the area as well. But like that's 12 months. And I, I just don't want this to kick on for another 12 months because you'll soon find yourself in an election kind of footing. And you know that the, the issue might drop off the agenda. Um, so look, that's the responsibility of backbenchers like myself and opposition TDs to make sure that we, you know, we keep banging the, the drum okay. or beating the drum. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep beating that drum and keep us informed, Porrick. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy uh, Podrick uh, O'Sullivan. Um, just on when I mentioned the pandemic payment, I just seen a text. And inevitably, I knew I said it to Ty. Somebody texted in saying they didn't get their one thousand euro pandemic bonus uh, payment. Almost a year now since it was announced. Hi, Patricia. I'm one of those. I'm still waiting. What do I do? My healthcare agency says it is out of their hands. Well, we got on to Kashi, who are the group that have been employed by the HSE to make the payments and to administer the uh, the scheme. They tell us that approximately 50% of employer claims submitted have now been processed and paid. They say subject to pla- claims being accurate and complete, Kashi will be able to advise employers of an indicative payment date for their claim taking account of the original submission uh, date and they also tell us that they only deal directly with the employers not with the employees except with the exception where an, um, an employer uh, is uh, no longer uh, trading. Uh, so what I would say to you is you need for your employer to get back on to Kashi who they would have sent all the information on to, to ask them to give them an indicative payment date of when your money is due. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just to follow up on uh, some things we've been covering. Firstly, uh, earlier on in the week, I mentioned an email with photographs attached that was sent to the programme by uh, some people who were concerned in the Carrigan Fire area. And it was to do with a very tall tree. And the top of the tree at some stage during one of the recent storms, I imagine, the top of the tree had been broken off, but it hadn't fallen off completely. And it was kind of hanging down. And this listener kindly took photographs. Now, they had already contacted Cork County Council to see if something could be done because there's a school near the area and they're really fearful that on high winds that you know this top and it was a large part of the tree was kind of hanging down almost upside down fearful that it would fall on top of maybe some teenagers walking to and from school or if it came down uh, it could seem to be a green area underneath it was in housing estate anyway we got on to Cork County Council on behalf of the uh, listener and now Cork County Council have come back to us in reply and they said yes that they have investigated and obviously they did before because the listener who sent the pictures on to us had said that they'd already sent it on to Cork County Council but it turns out that the tree in question is on private property 
and is privately owned. So therefore, Cork County Council can't go in and do anything about it. But the, what they tell us they have done is they've contacted the landowner to have the tree inspected and then removed if it's dangerous. And certainly, I know it was only photographs I was looking at, but it certainly does look uh, dangerous. So just to update, Cork County Council have gone on to the owner of the property and hopefully something will be done soon. And if the original listener who contacted us can keep us informed, please, please uh, do. Now, uh, energy credits. Oh yeah, this is Joe on the Victoria Road was on to us this morning to say that while you know everybody welcomes the energy credits the electricity credits that are landed into everybody's account since the start of January it is the third one and there's one more to go in uh, two months time now Joe said that's that's very much welcomed but Joe says many many people including him good his good self he heats his home with gas so while the energy credit for the electricity bill is very welcome, a lot of the talk from government ministers was that this was to be used to help heat people's homes. But Joe says, I cook with gas. I heat my home with gas. The government really would know from smart speakers how many people are using gas and how much gas is being used. And he says, why do they not include a credit for uh, gas? Gas prices are so expensive at the moment. And I did hear of somebody yesterday who was talking about they got in their gas bill. Now, it would have been for two months from for November, December and just up to the start of January and they got a bill for €930 Euro, and their gas bill for the previous two months before that which would have been what, September, October I know they, they wouldn't have been particularly cold months but the gas bill for September and October was €70 Euro, so to jump from €70 Euro to €930 uh, Euro. and I know that the bills that are arriving at the moment for gas and electricity they typically are the highest bills of the year but that to me sounded like a huge huge jump from €70 Euro to €930 so yes so people are worried not only about the electricity bills because at least with the electricity bills there's a bit of the sting taken out of it with the €200 Euro energy credit and for people with the likes of Electric Ireland they have the extra 50 euro credit that's been given by the company so that's taken some of the sting out of the electricity bill but there's nothing coming off the gas bills and massive huge gas bills are landing into people on people's door steps into the letterbox are most people now of course are getting it by uh, email Hi. Uh, oh, yeah, we've had a listener on to us then from Fromoy who is having huge difficulty trying to get through to her GP uh, practice. Has been trying since nine o'clock this morning and sent us in the text of, uh, after an hour and a half of trying to get through. Isn't the first time she's been having problems getting through on the, on the phones. So she just can't understand it. All she wants to do is uh, make an appointment. Well, I had to ring my... GP practice yesterday and I'm not in Formoya but with a GP practice in Mallow and I, I it was a bit of a wait but I, I got through and like you I was making an appointment for next week and I didn't have any problem I, I mean and a lot of the GP practices can be very busy at certain times I'm just wondering is it the hour of the day the fact that everybody tries to ring in the morning I'd suggest hold off and maybe ring in the afternoon it mightn't be as busy uh, I, I know people are having problems getting in to see a doctor this can be a bit of a wait I, I don't know if anybody offers same day GP appointments that we used to have once upon a time but we have a huge issue within the GPs we just don't have enough GPs and the ones that we do have are flat out working so I'd say hold off and ring them again in the afternoon maybe it's just the hour of the day that you're trying to ring you know 
very busy in the morning. That's the only thing that I assume that it could be. 0818-103-103 on private nursing homes that we were talking about, nursing home beds that are available. Could it be the private nursing homes, their fees are too high? My mother was in a private nursing home for a period of time. I had to remove her from it because I simply couldn't afford all of the fees. I got her into a community hospital and I don't have any of the financial headaches says this uh, texter on dogs that we discussed in the last hour. Hi Patricia I'm just wondering about these dog laws and this review that's going to take place myself and my family live next to people who have a dog, a nasty dangerous dog this dog caused us so much fear and has done for years nobody did anything to help except for the local dog warden. This dog warden did all that could be done but still we were fearful of being attacked every single day and night also this dog was constantly barking morning, noon and night it was awful the owners of the dog just didn't seem to care and that's from a North Cork listener and I'm assuming that you're speaking in the past the dog has has been removed or or else has passed away but it's it is shocking to live next door to somebody where there's a dog constantly barking. First of all, that would literally wreck your head. But to be in fear of the dog that every time you walked out your front door to go to the car or maybe to pop to the shops in fear that this dog was going to attack you. I'm delighted to hear that you got the dog warden involved and that he was able to help you. I mean, the whole idea of what Portugal Sullivan was talking about, um, about this setting up this task force is to look at the laws that are there and how do we tighten them how do we strengthen them will we need new legislation you know bearing in mind that little boy in Wexford who will live with those scars for the rest of his uh, life we've had some horrific sheep attacks uh, over the Christmas farmers left absolutely devastated with their sheep killed so absolutely something has to be done about it thank you for your text hi Patricia when I was a young one some 75 years ago says Margaret the guards on, on Garda Shea Corner going around on the bike would check for dog licence and woe betide you if you were asked by a member from Garda Shea Corner do you have a, a licence for that dog woe betide if you didn't have your licence says uh, Margaret so I t- take it bring back the Gardaí out and about on the beat on their bicycles 0818 103 103 and an issue I know John Paul tells me that was addressed yesterday uh, and it's caused some upset to people and this is an image of uh, Michael Collins and it's probably one of the most iconic images of Michael Collins walking down I don't know where where the actual photograph was uh, taken but he's in full uh, uniform and it's a real iconic the minute you see see this photograph you know that's uh, Michael Collins but the Will St. Ledger who's a Dublin based artist he has worked on the photograph and what he's done is he's changed the photograph so that Michael Collins photograph remains the same but Michael Collins is wearing a pink uniform and in his hand is a Dior shopping bag and a Coco Chanel shopping bag. The idea is you'd look at this and think oh there's Michael Collins he must have been out for a stroll doing some shopping and buying some designer labelled uh, items and as far as I know the image was used for it's uh, some event ladies event that's happening in the Dean Hotel in Dublin I'm sure I heard but anyway but it's just cause upset to people because people feel that Michael Collins image should not be used in this way and Will St. Ledger as I say he's a Dublin based artist and uh, activist and he has come out in defence um, and he of course he is famous for his iconic and thought provoking street art Collins Rising is his tribute to Michael Collins who he says sacrificed so much to secure our liberty 
He said committed volunteers like Collins never got leisure time, bonuses, holidays or luxury goods. They dedicated their waking hours to defeating their oppressors so others could be set free. Our little republic, he says, is not perfect, but we are not under the dominion of unelected monarchs. We have a constitution and we are free to utilise the tools of democracy, freedom of association, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. Liberty should never be considered a luxury. It's a fundamental human right. If Michael Collins had more time after the Civil War, he may have travelled the world. He might have married his sweetheart or raised a family. We might have spotted him striving down the street, shopping bags in hand, after buying something nice for himself or his girlfriend. My screen print called Duty Free State is an aspirational piece of work about a man who missed so much because he cared so much. Because of men and women like Collins, I enjoy the freedom to satirise icons like him without fear of restriction or the threat of imprisonment. And he said, for that, I am grateful. Michael Collins, he says, you deserve one free night off. And that's the statement from Will St. Ledger, who has come out in defence. I don't know how that's going to, because John Paul says yesterday he had some calls in from people who were upset about what Will St. Ledger, the artist, had done to this iconic picture of Michael Collins. So he's come out batting and he's not in any way apologetic and uh, he um, he's very much defending why he did what he did. I know members of the Collins family, I know Helen Collins in particular, was upset uh, about it uh, as well. So I don't know whose side you're on. Is it right? I mean, Wilson Ledger does have a point. I mean, because of what Michael Collins and the others who fought for our, our freedom did because of him uh, and because of others like him. We do have, uh, we do live in a democracy. We do have freedom of association. We do have freedom of speech and freedom of um, assembly. And, you know, and we all uh, treasure that liberty very much. So is it only right and proper that um, an icon like that, it, I mean, he doesn't in any way say that he is, uh, it, it, that it's anything nasty about Michael Collins, but he's just making the point that, you know, maybe if life had turned out differently for Michael Collins, he might have been seen strutting down uh, Patrick Street in Cork or Grafton Street in Dublin and maybe he would have been carrying a Chanel or Dior bag. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A general operative with forklift licence, a TIG welder and a banks person all required for a night shift in Dundera. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Carpenter and an apprentice carpenter is required for first and second fixing and roofing. Call Colin at 086-8620-748. General operatives with warehouse experience please are required for a wholesale distribution company that is based in uh, Mallow. And qualified electricians and a third or fourth year apprentice wanted for Cork City. Laura is your contact at 083-1877-608. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, government officials have expressed concern over the sustainability of the school transport scheme in light of rapidly rising costs. Now, almost two years ago, a review of school transport that included looking at costs got underway. So how close are we to seeing the results? of that review. West Cork Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard joins me. Good morning to you Tim. 
Good morning, Patricia. Tim, I suppose the obvious and first question is when are we expecting the conclusion of the review and did you expect it to take so long? Actually, look, I think it's a really important question. Look, the review started uh, in 2021, in, I think it was February 2021, and look, this review was looking into how the actual scheme operated, the capacity of the scheme and the cost of the scheme. It's a really important review and it's something we all welcomed, but none of us, none of us thought it was going to take the bones of two years for the school review scheme, for the transportation review to actually happen. And um, like the, the issue we have here is next April, everyone will be applying for the school trans for the school transportation for next for next September, for next September. Yeah. And I think the timelines are just running so so tight now. If you're to have a report published, it it obviously needs to be changed. If the because I personally think the entire scheme needs to be changed. If there is proposed to change it in the actual review, the timelines are so tight that it won't happen for this year. It'll happen for the academic year, which will be 18 months away, which is absolutely bizarre then. So uh, I'd be genuinely concerned about the time it took to actually have the review, and I don't know when it's going to be published. The minister told me before Christmas that it was going to be published in 2022. 2022 is gone. And we're now in 2023, and we're still waiting for that actual report to be published. Now, the, the waiving of the bus fees as a cost of living measure this year, I mean, I, I take it that has seen some of the costs shoot up for the scheme. Yeah, obviously, if you actually waive the actual fee, um, you know, you're going to have an increase in costs straight away. And I think um, that became an issue that capacity then became an issue because you had an extra roughly 18,000 coming onto the actual scheme itself. Um, but I think there's a big issue here, and this came to me like number one, school transportation every September is a nightmare. I think for the last three or four years, your show, my office have been cluttered with calls and parents waiting for tickets. This concessionary versus non-concessionary closest school versus second closest school or third closest school has become a nightmare to actually deal with. And if you look at last December, when the actual school stepped out, our traffic changed dramatically. The traffic flows in all our towns and all our villages absolutely changed because we didn't have the school transportation. Last um, December, we announced this new policy that we're going to have a 20% reduction in car journeys. And the obvious way that we're going to, to encourage people to actually reduce car journeys, in my opinion, is to have a school transportation scheme that caters for everyone. It's going to cost more. We should have a cost on it. I don't think it should be for free. But if you had every child on a bus, like happens in other districts and other countries, you would have a huge issue regarding the environmental costs, the social costs, and how actual society actually deals with this issue of kids going to school. So I just think there's a huge kind of debate that needs to happen. And I'm genuinely concerned since last February 2021, this debate has been going on. Submissions, which I've made, one of them have been taken, but we've no sign of this report. Has that ever been looked at before, though, giving a school bus place to everyone who wants to go on a school bus? Absolutely not. And I think there has been a little bit of snobbery about this issue, to say the very least, because school transportation really affects, school bus transportation really affects people who probably live outside the actual towns itself. And I remember this debate with Joe McHugh when he was the minister up there at the time with his officials. There seems to be in Dublin in particular a kind of dismissive nature regarding what the school transportation scheme is all about. Because in Dublin, you can get on the Lewis, you can get a bus, you can 
find di- different mechanisms to get that. Yeah, it mightn't be called the school bus, but you do have public transport available. Totally. We have one way to actually get our kids to school. You either have the school bus or you know, the parent drives them. That's the only way it works. And I just think the logic and the kind of ethos behind that has become the big issue in making sure we get change here. But Eamon Ryan announced this major policy change about 20% reduction in car journeys. Like the Department of Education now need to pick up on that and say, how can we actively do this? Like, in my opinion, there should be a cost on school transportation, a minimum cost, even if it's only 50 euros a child. Because what I don't want is people taking school bus tickets and not using them. I think there needs to be some monetary cost so people actually pay for it and then they actually have the ability to use it. Well, we saw what happened this year when the announcement was made that the bus was going to be free to everybody who was entitled to it. There was a huge increase in the number of people who decided, oh, I'll put my Johnny and my Mary on on the bus. And we certainly heard from some parents who said they'd only be using it one day a week, which did seem unfair. Totally unfair. And I think that became the issue because people were taking tickets and they weren't really using them only the one half day on a Wednesday when they couldn't get their child off from school. And that became their kind of routine. While other people were waiting, and they're still waiting, unfortunately, for tickets that will never come. And I think if you look at where we are, like all our schools down here depend on buses going there. But there's some on the bus and some off the bus. And like, just think about concessionary versus non-concessionary, close to school versus second close to school. We need to really clear up that entire mess. And I think that's why the review is very important. And if we were to clear up this non-concessionary ticket to the concessionary ticket, tie that in with this new national approach for reducing car journeys, and then say, what's the best way forward for our country to develop? Like, I remember going into Kinsale on the, I'm not sure my dates now, the 22nd or 23rd of December, and it was grand. I flew in there at half eight in the morning. There was no school transport. There was, no, there was no people on the road, do you see? And I think that became the real issue. If we can get 50 cars off the road and 50 kids into a bus, the knock-on effect is obvious for everyone. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think that, that, that issue that uh, about sending your child has to, to get, in order f- to get on the school bus, the child has to go to the new, nearest school, I think that's very unfair on families and on pupils because it's almost like the school bus transport section is dictating what school your son or daughter goes to. And the nearest school mightn't be the school that, for whatever reason, suits your child. Absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing, choice of school, where a parent wants to send a child to school for different issues, size of, school, of schools, um, what their academic proposals are versus other issues. Even sporting issues come into it, depending on where you are in life. And if you, like, I often think of Balneen and Skeen direction. Like, their closest school there could be Clannacilty on one side, any one of the two clans, or could be one of the three schools here, or four schools here in Bandon. And because of that, like, it really is, their choice has been dictated by a spot on the map and how close they are to one of the schools. And I think that's a real problem with what they have. And we need to talk about this parent's choice regarding sending your school to sending your child to school and where you want to send that child to school because it's literally been dictated by where the nearest school on the map is and that's not fair on anyone and what i will always taught and i think is what's the right approach the parent knows best regarding what's the right school for your child the school transportation section in the department of dublin don't know nothing about this child How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, 
People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Children with special needs, uh, Tim, have always been entitled to uh, free transport. But, you know, I was reading numbers yesterday. The numbers have have doubled. And because of that, costs have nearly uh, tripled. It is a door to door service. It's a fantastic service. Would you hope that when this the review comes out, that that will remain the same? Yeah, like special needs, we have nearly 18,000 children going to special needs schools on basically taxis or that kind of school transportation service every day. And I think it has been actually really well done. The real issue there is there's no closing dates for that. So unlike the actual normal school transportation service that you have to have a closing date in April, that is a continuously rolling system. So if a child now gets a place in a certain school, even if it's the month of January, February or March, we can actually get that child onto the actual system itself. It takes time regarding vetting and regarding getting an actual transportation mechanism to get there. But because that's open on a a 12-month rotation, it makes it very, very easy for us to get the child there after a period of time when we get the actual logistics sorted. But that's actually been a really positive one. I think they've really done very, very well. The problem with that is with other when children or adults with special needs then go on further they don't have the same luxury and I think we have huge issues regarding adults who are attending special um, educational classes and they don't have the ability to go to the old special education classes because they depend on their parent or their guardian to take their 
and that's that should loop all analysis. Mm, OK, and, and that's a, a, a discussion and an argument for another day, uh, Tim. I did see, though, on the special education transport in the last 10 years, it has gone from 60 million euro to more than 150 million euro a year. Of course, costs have gone up completely when it comes to transport, isn't it? Yeah, and the cost of transportation, it's actually the services, it's trying to make sure that we actually get the right person for the right job. And look, if you talk to the cab companies, that's a really important part of actually think of their main focus of business now. And look, I mean, look, it's a really good story in many ways that we've got only 18,000 kids going to school that way. Uh, traditionally, we wouldn't have that many people going. And I just, like, that service has totally changed over the last decade. We're not there yet but there is major major progress there on, on that one but like there is in particular in west cork there's a huge need for a special um needs kind of center that needs to be built around having you know special ed at the, at the core of it like we have two of them in cork city we've none at the moment in the geographical district of west cork and i have people that i know quite well who are going from skibbereen to cork city and back every day that's incredible yeah, because somebody else, some other, someone is saying uh, a woman who lives lives near me has to, ch- to take her child to Lismore every day to go to school. They're living in Fomoy Town and they have to travel to Lismore because that's obviously it's a choice of the family. That's where the daughter wants to go to school, but is not entitled to the school bus. By the way, did I hear you say that everyone who was looking for a seat on the bus for this academic year, not everyone has got a ticket? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I would have three people over in Crossbarry. I would have another five or six in Ballinhasset that have not yet got a school ticket. Um, the issues in Rossmore and that part of the world have been as good as sorted. Um, but I found this year of all years very, very tough regarding trying to sort out the issues. Um, we got there eventually in Jan- in November with most of them, but I would think there's six or seven people still on to us that haven't got school transportation tickets. And like, They've probably moved on to next year, as in like mentally anyway. They've kind of sorted their issues for this year. And their real concern here is what's going to happen next year. Will they be effectively not on the list again next year? They'll be applying in April, but these will be concessionary. And that's the problem. They will be the second school, and they will be people that will be closer to another school but don't want to go there. Like the people in Rust in, in um, Crossbarry, their closest school is Ballancolic, and they've no affinity whatsoever with the Ballancolic district. Yeah. But because geographically over the hill, that would be the closest school. They can't go to Bandon where they want to go, where they are going to school, and they can't get in the school bus. So um, like these are the issues that the review that was set up in February 2021 was supposed to come back and deal with in a timely manner. And here we are nearly two years out, nearly two years out. Here's somebody who works within that um School transport sector says, Hi, I'm a, sc- I'm a school contractor. I go and collect a child from Cork City every mor- morning. Mammy is waiting at the front door with the child. Two minutes afterwards, Mammy is behind my bus driving to the same school. That is what is wrong uh, with the, uh, with the uh, system. The other two children are not entitled to get on the bus as they are going to main uh, stream within the same unit where I'm dropping off the child with the special needs. Uh, the child with the special needs could get on the bus, but the other children have got to go by car there is no joined up thinking there are also people who received but who received tickets the free tickets for the school bus this year and some of them are not using them while others can't get on the bus uh, no wonder we've so many cars heading out in the morning it's crazy yeah it's it's that's ex- an exact example of joined up thinking isn't it 
Absolutely, and I think that's the core of the issue. You know, if you have a school transportation service, that's costing us a lot. Like, they must be joined up thinking about who, what school they're going to, and if they're all going to the same school, you must buy into that. Um, and, like, these issues can be sorted out logistically. They're not a major issue. They're just joining up all the dots. And I think, look, we're looking at the minister who started this review in 2021. Like, we need to get the review out because the phone calls about next year are starting already. Like, I have one man who I met at Christmas, and his view was, like, I'm applying in April. What's the chances? Like, I just have to apply. Uh, but isn't it. that crazy that, you know, we've so much of this school academic year to still go, and we already have parents fretting about next year's? Yeah, and, like, like these are hard-working, decent parents that are probably... You know, with two jobs in the house, they're trying to get their kids out of school at half past seven. If they have to drop their kids to school, it really affects one of the parents and how they actually work from their day. And like, they're the kind of people you need to support in life. And yeah. I think, I, but I genuinely am concerned there was a genuine snobbery about how the school transportation scheme worked or why it was working in some parts of um, Dublin in particular. Like, it's a real benefit for us, it's a real benefit for where we live. And if we actually joined all the dots up, put the kids on the bus, we'll reduce this transportation issue that they're talking about. Because we don't have the opportunity to have a Lewis outside our door every day. And because of that, we need to have another way of actually doing it. Okay. All right. And actually, that uh, person came back who was talking about the friend of hers who was to take her, the child to Lismore every day from school, from Formoy. I thought it was a, a choice of the family. It's not. There was simply no place in the Formoy school. The nearest school then was uh, Lismore, and the family have to drive and collect the child every day. Okay. Thank you for that. And listen, Tim, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is West Cork uh, Senator Tim Lambert. This week's Golden Globe Awards ceremony, it was so gorgeous to hear Irish actor Colin Farrell thank Jenny, his co-starring Donkey in the Banshees of Inishirin in his acceptance speech. In recognition of the shout out, the Donkey Sanctuary in Nascarol has now extended an invitation to Colin Farrell to come visit the centre. And joining me with further details is Laura Foster, spokesperson for the uh, Donkey Sanctuary. Good morning to you, Laura. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm, ver- I'm very well. Now, firstly, have you seen the movie? I have. Have you? I have. I have. Absolutely. I have. <laughs> Wasn't Jenny just brilliant in it? <laughs> she was absolutely marvellous. Yes. I, it generally just thought it was such a beautiful film and um, well deserving of all the accolades. I know it had a little bit of a mixed review, but um, it, it was certainly really, really fantastic to see a donkey play such a starring role and um, and to see that bond, you know, between Jenny the donkey and Colin Farrell. And were you particularly pleased to hear the shout out in the acceptance speech on Tuesday? Yeah, that was lovely. I think it just shows what a what an impact she had on um, on the the cast, particularly Colin Farrell, who obviously had to work closely with her. But for us, it just although the movie didn't sort of overtly educate people about donkey welfare or, you know, it, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a preachy film in that sense, but you know it, what it did do was really portray do- donkeys and their empathy and their ability to comfort people um, that that intuitive nature that they have, um, which is fantastic because we spend so much of our time talking about the doom and gloom with regards to donkey welfare, and it's it's just so nice to see them re- you know portrayed in such a positive light. And of course, the movie is set in the early nineteen twenties. It really does yeah. portray, doesn't it, the role that donkeys played in Irish society life. Bearing in mind, it's it's only a hundred years ago. 
That's right. And and indeed, they played, you know, well beyond the end of the uh, Irish Civil War. They played such an important role in, in the agriculture industry. So it's, it is only relatively recently that they've they've stopped being, you know, essentially vehicles for for farmers um, in rural parts of Ireland. Um, and that's for us, that's where the hangover is from a from a welfare point of view, is that they're still so so widely kept um but not always kept in 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 the right um in the right conditions of course which is where we come in but um but yes it was it was fantastic to see a donkey portrayed in that time and not just as a working animal but as a companion animal you know and it is it common for people to have such a, a lovely relationship that was portrayed in the movie it absolutely is. I mean, that was what was so wonderful about it is, um, you know, donkeys are incredibly emotionally intuitive animals. They um, some the research has been done that shows that they actually have the same intelligent le- intelligence levels as, as dolphins or dogs. Um, and they learn incredibly quickly, but they also they read people incredibly well. So a lot of the, rep, you know, a lot of the, the words that people may associate with donkeys, like stubbornness and obstinance and all of this, it's it's really because the donkey is actually it is actually gauging the situation and deciding what it wants to do. And um, and of course, they've evolved not to show pain because they're a prey species. So they're incredibly stoic. And um, as, as I've been saying over the last couple of days, we have a tendency to ce- celebrate that stoicism, but it really means that they have to. we have to look out for them. We have to look out for their will, well-being because they may not show us in the way that a horse might show yeah, you that and they're it, actually it, suffering. It, yeah, it really works against them then, doesn't it? Because, you know, sometimes yeah. they can be in, you know, excruciating pain before anybody would even yeah. notice. Exactly, exactly. And, and um, you know, obviously our advisors are well trained and we can see from facial expressions, we can see from their gait and how they're walking, whether they're carrying lameness or pain with them. But um, but yes, they're, they're incredibly emotionally intuitive. So they, they bond with uh, typically with other donkeys. Usually, you know, they'll have one very close companion, but they may bond, you know, in a group. But they also bond with um, with people as well. And uh, it's certainly separation and the stress of separation can cause severe problems with donkeys. So, you know, we have our work cut out when we're out in the community trying to figure out solutions for donkeys, because it really isn't just a case of picking them up and taking them somewhere else. Else, you know yeah and that's why I know in your fostering program you always insist that they go out in pairs don't you so that they have company that's right if they're if they're already in a bonded relationship with another donkey then we would always re you know seek to rehome um with within that dynamic similarly if if they are on their own um then we would always look to pair them up with with another donkey when we rehome them we we would very 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 rarely would we we we'd be looking at rehoming a donkey on its own. Um, we do that matchmaking and, and we always do it. Um, we uh, we call it like a bonding assessment when we go into a case and we, we try and establish actually who is the companion. So, I mean, when Colin Farrell was talking about Rosie the donkey being her support donkey, and I think there's a lovely video of him talking to Jamie Lee Curtis and they're rolling about laughing at the idea that Jenny had this support donkey. Um, and, and it made us laugh because we're like, well, yes, but if only they knew that actually all donkeys have a have a support donkey we call them bonded companions which is really just a friend that helps them to get through life you know and do they mourn the loss of a companion if if one goes before the other 
Yes, they do. And, uh. it, and it can cause really severe health problems, actually. So, yes, when you know, when 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 you get to the end of end of a donkey's life, it's very important that the companion is present um, because they need time to to accept what has happened, to grieve. Um, and that then helps to lower the stress levels and that then helps to reduce some of the health problems that can be caused by stress. So, um, yeah, they're, they're complicated, but ultimately wonderful animals. And very intelligent, if, judging by what you're saying. Yeah, so, so intelligent. Um, they, they hold their cards close to their chest, you know, but I think that's for, for us. It's one of the things that's so wonderful about them is that you you have to earn their trust. Um, um, but they pay you back tenfold. I mean, if anybody's had time to check out our socials, we 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 try to post, um, you know, for every sad story, we we do try to to show pictures and videos of what donkeys in happy conditions do look like. And they play, and they're mischievous, and they have such unique personalities as well. So it's it's quite astonishing the difference you'll see in a donkey when it's when it's been in a bad situation and then it's moved on into a better situation, they really come to life. Yeah, I heard Colin Farrell in one of the in, in an interview where he was, you know, promoting uh, the movie and, and he spoke about this wonderful relationship that he had with Jenny and he was annoying her or something or she was annoyed one day. She just gave him a kick, get out of my way. And he realised he was at fault. It wasn't. But he said, oh, God, she gave me a kick. <laughs> but he, uh, he absolutely, yeah. he, he idolised her. He idolises her, which, which is lovely. And I did see you bring up something that I'd actually thought about as well after watching the movie because there was this you know this wonderful positive betrayal of the bond between Colin and Jenny there is a danger that some people will watch a movie like that and think oh we've got a field out the back I'll, I'll, I'll get a donkey without realising the commitment that's involved yeah I mean you don't want to it, you know, no one likes to be a party pooper it's you know ultimately we want to be joyful and celebrate this a fantastic film and the role of this this amazing animal in the movie but you know I think years ago we saw it with the 101 Dalmatians movie yeah. didn't we and um, similarly there was you know a pot-bellied pig craze and that particularly with Jenny being a miniature donkey um, you you know and any animal welfare organization would worry that the you know that the novelty factor if you like would would trigger lots of interest in owning a miniature donkey particularly because Jenny was on you know she wasn't with another donkey in the movie and um, obviously it's a fictional account we wouldn't expect the movie to sort of um, to be too true to welfare (laughs) standards for for the sake of creative license and all the rest of it but um, you know we would be concerned that if anybody was interested in 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 acquiring a donkey if they had the right land and infrastructure and time and resources and they wanted to give uh, donkeys a home that we w- of course we welcome that when we have over 500 of our donkeys out on a fostering scheme so um, and you're we, always we looking love, for new foster families always looking for new foster families um, but what we would say to anybody that wants to bring donkeys into their life is contact us because we've got donkeys that need rehoming and we've got donkeys at the moment that are waiting for homes um, and we do do very thorough assessments. We really help people to get their infrastructure right. So they've, you know, we talk about grazing, we talk about feed, we talk about shelter, vaccinations, dentistry, farriery. You know, there's, a, there's an awful lot that goes into preparing to bring donkeys into your life. But then we work with people for the duration of their of, of them having those donkeys to make sure that they're they're getting the right help and the right support. So 
you know, it's it's a great way of bringing donkeys into your life, and it's it's far preferable to going out and you know getting an, any animal on a whim because you've seen it in a movie, you know. Okay, well, um, well done. So, um, and and he he mentioned in the acceptance speech that Jenny has gone into early retirement. <laughs> I believe so. I mean, I must stress she's not with us. Yeah. Um, so, but no, I mean that's that's lovely to hear, isn't it? That yeah. she's um, that she's now relaxing and basking in the glow of her of her fame. <laughs> and I'm sure she probably enjoyed taking part in the movie as well. Beautiful place, Ackle Island, uh, to spend her summer oh. uh, last year. And uh, so you've reached out now to Colin Farrell. We have. I mean, it would be remiss of us not to, I think. Um, we've reached out. I mean, look, he's he's a busy man. And, um, you know, we live in hope. But it goes without saying that he's uh, he's welcome to come and see us anytime he likes. And um, we'd be delighted to, to tell him more about our work. And there would be a queue of female staff members who would be only too delighted <laughs> to be there to welcome him, Laura. <laughs> are you are you a fan yourself? Well, do you know, I mean, I saw him, him in Bruges and I thought that was a wonderful movie. I think what what is really um, fantastic is the way that he's deliberately selected, you know, has has veered away from that typecasting into those kind of mainstream action hero type roles, which I think, you know, because of the way he looks and the reputation that he had in the 90s and everything, bit of a hellraiser. I just think it's great to see that he's gone down the route of getting of doing these kind of more independent um, movies and you know he's, he's a brilliant actor he Patricia is, yeah. that's all yeah. I'll say and he's, ple- <laughs> he's pleasant on the eye we'll call it out for what it is uh, Laura <laughs> listen thank you pleasure as always uh, to talk to you thank you for that and thanks for thank joining you. us uh, that thanks is the so lovely bye bye that is the lovely Laura Foster from the Donkey Sanctuary in uh, Liscarroll which is a wonderful wonderful uh, facility uh, 0818 we're heading to the newsroom for news at uh, 12 midday and I've just seen on breaking news that the government have approved Neil Richmond as Minister for State in the Department of Enterprise, Trade, Employment and Social Protection. And that's the role that Damien English uh, stepped down from yesterday. So our new junior minister is uh, going to be Neil Richmond. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, by the way, Clondrohid Development Group have been on to us. They had scheduled their adult Christmas and New Year get together and they were hoping to have it on the 22nd of November in the community hall but they've decided to postpone the event for the moment and that's because there's high levels of coughs and flus and that RSV virus is out there and we know COVID is still there and they just feel there's a lot of viruses circulating at the moment so they're erring on the side of caution which I think is a sensible thing uh, to do and they will have their get together later on you know maybe in a couple of months time and they'll let us know when they've rescheduled but just to let people know that the adult Christmas and New Year get together for this 22nd of January Clonderhut Development Group has been uh, postponed and also another postponement I heard about this yesterday when I was off because it was something that we did discussed on the programme on uh, earlier on in the week with Vincent uh, O'Donovan from the RNLI in Court Mac and they were also excited in Court Mac uh, because next Sunday was to see the arrival of their brand new all-weather Shannon class lifeboat 
But unfortunately, that has been postponed. It's because of the se- severe weather that's expected on the crossing uh, from the Arnalai, the Arnalai headquarters in Poole. That's where the boat is at the moment. And the plan was that they'd sail the boat across uh, this week and into this weekend and it would arrive into Court McSherry next uh, Sunday. But obviously, safety comes first. Now, um, I have heard that crew training is continuing for the light boat crew because many of those are in Poole. They've been there actually since last uh, Sunday. So that's going to continue across this uh, week. And from Saturday in Court Mac, they'll have a relief uh, lifeboat. The new date for the arrival of the state of the uh, state of the art lifeboat will be agreed and communicated as soon as possible. And no doubt, as soon as the Court Mac Sherry, RNLI, know the date of the lifeboat, its arrival, they'll let us know because there was a lot of people excited about going down to beautiful Court Mac because there's going to be flotilla of boats and it all sounded perfect and gorgeous. And when I was speaking with um, Vincent O'Donovan on the programme, I did make that point. I said, oh, fingers crossed that you'll get wonderful, fine weather for it. But unfortunately, it is not to be. Now, we were discussing control of dogs earlier on the programme and we've been contacted by uh, Anthony Collins, who is listening to the programme. And this is a gentleman who's a Unfortunately, not available to join us on air, but he is a gentleman who's done a lot of research into the area of control of dogs. And he has come up with a suggestion that instead of a dog license, everybody who owns a dog would have to pay to get a DNA test done on their dog. Then the DNA test would go into a central register. So it'll be all done online. There wouldn't be any uh, paperwork and it would all be available online. The DNA, like a human's DNA, it's specific to one person. So they'd be able to identify who owns uh, the dog. Uh, And therefore, if something happened like um, a dog like what happened in Wexford when that little boy was attacked, when we've seen dreadful, dreadful sheep kills, even down to, and we get complaints about this, we get people saying that there's a dog coming into my garden that's using my garden as a toilet. I don't know who owns the dog. You could get a specimen of what the dog leaves uh, behind and you could trace it and find out exactly who owns uh, the dog. Um, the, The proposal is based on all animal farm systems like horses like all horses have a similar system so it's already in place so it would be like kind of a little bit like a canine passport every single dog that would get registered on this DNA base there would be a number for the pet and it would contain things like the owner's uh, PPS number there'd be an air code so you'd be able to find out exactly where the owner of the dog uh, lives it would all be done online St Anthony the owner could access the system with a pin number uh, so it rules out anything happening on the black economy you'd register your dog you'd choose if it's a breeding unit or a domestic unit if it's a domestic uh, unit you'd need proof that your dog is neutered via vet for example um, and uh, he says that it, like it's there the actual how it would work is actually there because they use it for horses so it could be used for dogs as well and it would all be linked instead of a dog licence it would be linked to this online kind of a canine passport uh, instead and then if a person was to sell the dog again they simply would register all the details onto the canine passport and then the new owner's details would be put up uh, on it. Uh, Anthony has worked on uh, this for many years so he knows what he's talking about and the reason they decided to get involved in trying to trace 
dogs who do damage and are out of control is 17 of his sheep were killed by a dog when he approached the owner he was told that it's that's not my dog that's my ex-partner's dog so he wasn't able to claim any kind of compensation for his sheep kill and then he said when his son was a toddler he was out playing with a football in the garden a dog had come into the garden done his business the little toddler does you know what toddlers do playing with the football picked up the the uh, football and uh, the little toddler ended up in ingesting some of what the dog had left behind he ended up getting e coli he couldn't figure out what had happened until after he researched the dog dirt he suffered an enlarged liver for a number of years um, and i i remember talking with a woman was she from dublin john paul might remember it was a couple of years ago there was a woman we traced down who had had something similar her but her boy had come in from playing out on the grassy area, you know, in the housing estate. And she said the minute he came in from playing football, she called him in for his tea. And she said the min- minute he came in, she could smell the dog dirt from him and said, you're after getting dog dirt either on your shoes or it's on your clothes or it's on the football you've been playing with. And like she sent him in immediately, change your clothes, wash your hands, etc. But about a day later, her little boy got really, really unwell. And she straight away thought, oh, my God, I wonder if that anything to do with him being out playing. And there was dog fouling on the green area. And it turned out it was he called. It was really serious. Her little boy ended up in hospital and everything. Now, luckily, he made a full re- uh, recovery. But she went public on it to try to highlight for people to please be responsible uh, res- for responsible pet owners and please clean up after your dog. So Anthony's suggestion looks like something that could actually work. Could it be introduced? Would it need legislation to introduce it? And then, of course, you're going to have to make sure that every single person who has a dog registers their dog and gets the DNA testing done. That's my only problem that I foresee with it, Anthony. I think it's a fantastic scheme that you, you've come up with. But I mean, if we already have a problem with forcing people to make sure that every single dog has a dog license, is trying to make sure that every single dog owner gets this DNA test on and then registers into the system. But certainly uh, uh, let us know how you get on. I think John Paul says he's going to be speaking before Cork County Council about his suggestion. So we'll follow this one uh, closely. And thank you for your uh, call. Joan heard me mention the listener who was in the Fomoy area, I think, trying to get through to her GP and just nobody answering the phone. Uh, Joan said uh, recently she had to ring her GP practice and the answering machine came on and told Joan to ring South Dock. When she rang South Dock, they had an answering machine on saying you have to ring your GP. She said, what is the person to do? She had rang daytime. Well, South Dock won't answer the phone during the day. South Dock is an out of hours service. It only kicks in, I think, from from about six o'clock in the evening and during the day if you ring South Dock by mistake they'll tell you to ring your GP so I'm really at a loss as to why a GP practice had that on their answering machine they certainly have it on the answering machine after six but they certainly shouldn't have been telling you to ring South Dock during the day because there's nobody there to take your call Jim in Clonakilty heard me talk about electricity and electricity bills arriving in and people are getting their electricity credit even though this was kicked off by a listener who's dreading the gas bill coming in because gas bills are equally gone as high and there isn't any uh, energy credit being given to people who heat their homes with uh, gas. Jim in Clonakilty says I got my electricity bill this morning. Uh, Jim is one of the people who's eligible for the free allowances under the pension. You know they get so many units free every two months. He started reading very carefully the back of the bill and noticed that he got charged VAT of 99% on the free allowance 
So he said it isn't really f- really free at all. The free allowance, co- the cost f- just on the free allowance was €5.99. Oh, that, that, that seems nuts, doesn't it? That they charge you that on something that they're giving you for free doesn't make any sense to me. Nula says just for those working in private health care, this is on the pandemic a payment, double check your bank account. This happened to me and a few working in different places. Some people get paid every month for from, for example, Cork Nursing Home. But some pandemic payments may come under a different name or a different account that your employers use. So it might show, for example, Munster Limited instead of the Cork Nursing Home that you work with. So double check your bank account. There are some people who were actually paid their pandemic bonus and didn't realise that it had been paid into their bank accounts. So please check that out for the people who have been contacting us who are still waiting. And as I told you, when we got on to Kashi, the company who are that the HSE are now have now brought in to administer the rest of the payments for the pandemic, bo- the, the pandemic bonus. They say that they only deal with employers unless your employer has ceased trading. So for the majority of people, they, they are dealing directly with the employer. They've paid out 50% of the claims, but there's another 50% still to be paid out. But they say that if an employer contacts them, they will be able to give them a rough idea of when the payment is due for that particular nursing home or so uh, get back onto your employer and tell them to get on to Kashi to give you any idea that's for the ones that are still uh, waiting. Back on dogs, somebody says, please, I would like to remain anonymous, which is fine. Patricia, I live in an East Cork town with a population of about 7,000 people. I see a dog owner with what looks like a Doberman or else it's a Doberman mix out regularly with the dog off the lead. She's out on a public path with her dog. I notice her most evenings, so she likes to take the dog out for a walk. For example, last Wednesday, it was very quiet. It was a dark, wet evening and I was out and so was this lady and her dog. The dog passed me off the lead. Now, I wonder, is it the guards that I report that to or is it to a dog warden? She would probably say, oh, don't be worried about it. My dog is lovely and quiet and won't uh, touch you. I'm wondering what advice has others done this? I'm sure I wouldn't get a great reaction if I confronted the person myself. It's a small town, so I prefer not to approach them. And we have had people who've approached uh, dog owners. Some have been very good about it and, you know, put the dog on the lead. But others, yeah, will almost take the head off you. How dare you accuse my Fido of being aggressive and my Fido wouldn't touch you and all of that. And we had only Anne, one of our regular listeners who contacts the programme, she has an elderly dog who is suffering with arthritis and his pins and his back legs. And she said when she's out for a walk, she always has her dogs on lead. But she said often she'll come across not a Doberman but even small dogs who might be very boisterous and they just see another dog and they want to come and play and she said if if a dog just even jumps up in a playful way on her dog it can cause excruciating pain and she said she's pointed that out to some dog owners who take huge umbrage including one person who said to Anne well if your your dog is you know feeling that frail should you really have him out at all which is really uh, not the answer I'm assuming if you contact a dog warden I mean obviously if the, if this woman is walking this Doberman dog on the same kind of a route uh, uh, probably does it at the same hour of every day I'm assuming it's the dog warden 
that you go uh, to. 0818103103 if anybody wants to offer advice there. And Sheila is on wondering, does anybody know where Sheila can buy Horlicks in Formoy or Mitchellstown, please? She said drinking chocolate. She's no problem seeing that. That seems to be everywhere, readily available. But she's having problems trying to find Horlicks which is one of her favourite warm drinks. It's a hot drink, isn't it? Horlicks. Uh, does anybody know where you have you seen Horlicks on stage or on, on sale or if there's any shop listening in Formoy or Mitchellstown, please let us know. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie Bingo is on in Mallow GAA Complex. It's on tonight at 8.15 now the jackpot is four and a half thousand euro and all funds raised go directly into Mallow GAA to help with the running of teams and work on pitches and in the complex a race night will be held in Goethe Lassa Old School House on the Sheepshead Peninsula tomorrow night and it's in aid of the wonderful community air ambulance racing will start at 8pm There'll be a raffle tomorrow night for some great prizes. There'll be beverages and snacks available. Please support this very worthy cause. And remember, it is a cash-only event, please. And Sean Keane will play at the Glen Theatre in Bantir tomorrow night. That's an 8 o'clock start with tickets available at 029-56239. And Fremont Mokra. They're holding a tractor run next Sunday. It's in aid of the Laura Lynn, which is Ireland's only children's hospice. Registration opens from 11.30 to 12.30 in Lismire GAA Hall. Entry fee is €20. Euro. All are welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. According to uh, reports on some of the national media, the future of West Cork's only acute mental health unit has been secured following an agreement between the Mental Health Commission and the HSE. Following down the Centre for, the, for Mental Health Care and Recovery, it's located on the campus of Bantry General Hospital and bear in mind it does serve a catchment population of about 60,000 people. But following an inspection of the unit in Bantry, the Mental Health Commission instructed the HSE to reduce the number of people who could be treated there from 18 to 11. The HSE appealed this condition and now on the basis of undertakings uh, given by the Mental Health Commission, it's now prepared to allow the unit to continue operating with a macum- maximum occupancy of 15 people. Local independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins is furious over this decision and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Michael. Good afternoon, uh, Patricia. You, you very much do not see this as a good news story. Uh, it's a shocking story uh, for the people of, of West Cork. You know, the mental health unit uh, has been... Um, in in my view, under resourced for many many years, and, and and obviously the outcome of the mental health commission uh, report is proof uh, of of this happening. And it's like heads here haven't rolled, or nobody has explained how uh, under resourcing has gone on for many years. Uh, the mental health commission has come and gone for many years to the mental health unit inventory and has given reports uh, requiring uh, telling them that they re- uh, require works to be carried, serious works to be carried out there. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. And it led the Mental Health Commission to uh, this, this final report recently and taking the HSE to court on the basis that uh, the, the, the works hadn't been carried out, safety works uh, in, from within the unit. 
And do, but do you do you take any comfort from the fact that 15 beds have been secured rather than just 11? Absolutely no comfort whatsoever. And I appeal to the teacher of the day. I appeal to the teacher, Michal Martin, on the 28th of September and leaders' questions in the dark. They intervene in this issue and to provide the proper funds and to Minister Mary Butler and uh, to provide the proper funds to keep youth as at least 18. Patricia, we have a mental health crisis in this country and everybody knows that more than we've ever had in our lives before. And to think that we're going to lose beds instead of gaining beds, because gaining beds, and I know people want to go into the unit, I know people need at times, and people have gone in and come out there and have come out at the better end and have, you know, come back to normal lives. But unfortunately, in a lot of situations, they can't get a bed there. And in this situation, we're losing 15 for the whole of West Cork. And I can tell you, that, that includes, like, in Shantar, Goom, Goldie, you can see it, and parts of Kerry and Macroom areas. Yeah, well. I think it's the, you know, it's the geographical nature of the uh, area that places such an importance on this unit and I know when this first got mooted that you know the HSE were told they were going to, have to reduce the number of beds to 11 you know we had calls in very upset calls in from family members who said that they had family members whose lives were saved because of this unit and they would be fearful going forward of any decrease in beds they have an unfairness staff also that have worked in the unit have worked very very hard under under the you know under the pressures that they have because there isn't enough room in the, in the unit as we speak to think now that we're going to be cut three beds even at the same time in saying that the HSE promised me and promised other politicians as well that they were going to appeal this that they weren't going to, uh, to take it to the bench just to court yesterday and withdraw their appeal in the eleventh hour. And, and do a, some kind of a sweet deal where beds are going to be lost. They promised me uh, that in September that they'd fight this uh, case and they promised me even up to a month ago when we had a meeting with the HSE that they would keep it at 18 beds and they would fight to keep it at 18 beds. I, I would always, and I would always like to have had seen enough investment there, Patricia, to make sure that there was more than 18 beds because 18 is not adequate enough as we speak. But still, keeping it as it is would have been a some help. But to think that there some uh, someone out there is putting a spin on it that there's a celebration that they're not going to cut it down to 11 that it's going to be cut down three beds it's an astonishing uh, statement to make yeah, that they're and, looking for and something. obviously they now have to do the work that they were meant to have done uh, they're now going to have to do the, do the work and because of that uh, occupancy I'm told at the centre will reduce temporarily while they carry out the planned uh, works but they are saying that they will try to keep it to as short a time frame as possible so there's going to be even less beds while the work goes on. Well Patricia the, the whole issue here is that the, it, it, successive governments have underinvested in the mental health unit in Bantridge and Hospital and this is it's come home to roost uh, now and unfortunately we see, we're going to see a drop in bids which is totally unacceptable and I would plead with the, the new teacher Clare Brack, and I will in the dog in this coming week and, and I know that there's a senior minister in West Park this week and I'd be delighted if Heather Humphreys would go down to uh, the mental health unit and meet with the staff and talk to the, the staff and maybe some of the people that use us million is going to be provided for the works uh, on the building. Is there a lot of work needs to be done to bring it up to 
I think there's a lot of different uh, different type of works that need to be carried out there. Not a major amount of work, but a lot of different type of works. But obviously, you know, in the, in, you know, you you saw that with the community hospitals where they spaced out beds and 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 you know, ensuite rooms, and, and that's fair enough. That's respectful improvements that need to be made because like we have to bring the mental health hospital up from the 1980s, 90s to, to where we are to 2023 today, and unfortunately that hasn't happened. And this should have meant that there would have been ex, uh, extra rooms added and uh, maybe a new unit built or an extension to the unit that's there. But obviously they've taken the easy way out where they're going to put a sticky plaster solution. But a sticky plaster solution means that there's three beds going to be lost in West Cork when we needed more beds in the first place. And a kind of a spin put out there that aren't really Isn't it great? It's not going to go down to them. Certainly that, that would have been a disaster. But certainly where we are, it's a very, very bad situation. Okay. People are, are walking very hard with, with, with family members that are fiercely with. And, and, and families so, are really struggling to look after they their are struggling and, yeah. and the problem is if, if a person is refusing to and a person wants to go into the mental June and there is no rooms available I'm unfortunately sometimes the suicide and it something does, we yeah. don't like to Loss talk about but, life, but yeah. it's, it's it a does. true fact it does, yeah. fact, it does. Uh, Patricia. okay let, let us know how you get on with this and just while I have you on uh, John Paul tells me you went along to the, the BT Young Scientist exhibition uh, ah. yesterday it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful event isn't it? Oh, Patricia, in fairness to the young people out there, I was astounded and the manners and the kindness and the, uh, the, for the kids and, you know, unfortunately I couldn't get around to everything. There's 40-something schools from West Cork, yeah. Kinsale, Bandon, Skibbereen, Tonic, Kilsey, Bantry and Skull and the, the projects they had and the, their heart and soul, you know what it encouraged me, I left the place with a huge positive feeling about Brilliant. the young people of West Cork. You know, how, how, how you know, happy they were to explain their project to me. They go through every detail of it and some of them very, very clever ideas that should yeah. uh, should be, you know, especially in, in relation to family. It's surprising how many girls are showing me, ladies are showing me uh, projects that they had in relation to family that IFA and ICSA and ICMSA, all of them should be sitting down with these young people using these ideas on, on the farms. But look, in fairness, it was a, a very, very positive visit. And they, and I, I mean, these are the young... The children and, their, and their parents. These are, these are the young, these are our future. These they young, are, are, intelligent, uh, bright... If, if they're our future, we're, 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 we're being, we're being uh, looked after very carefully. Well, well, well said, well said. And of course, the announcement, it's always on a, the, the Friday, it'll be this afternoon. It's usually around tea time, they make the announcement of the awards. Well, hopefully. And Cork schools, Cork oh, we, all, we always do well. Cork schools always do well in we this exhibition. All right, listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely weekend, thanks Michael, and thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, West Cork Independent uh, Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Actually, talking of the Young Scientist exhibition, uh, it was late 70s, I think. It was it was the Aer Lingus Young Scientist exhibition, and I remember being in secondary school, and we took a project along to the Young Scientist exhibition. I think we got, uh, you know, a a, 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 a Highly, recom- highly recommended uh, Rosette I think we got we were thrilled with, thrilled with ourselves and we did it on it was something to do with traffic and traffic uh, flows uh, through the town of Clamell where I was living at the time but I remember as a fun few days away in Dublin it was fantastic but my goodness I've been looking over some of the different projects that are up there at this year's exhibition we really have such a bright bright intelligent uh, young people with such inquisitive uh, minds and if we can harness that the future certainly is going to be good in this country 0818103103 and best of luck to all of the Cork schools when the awards are given out later today you can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103
103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. A short film entitled Guinness and Coke will be shot in March uh, in beautiful West Cork and the company behind the movie are coming to Cork next week. They're holding auditions to find out more. I'm joined by Lachlan McKenna who is the director and writer of Guinness and Coke. Good afternoon to you Lachlan. How are you Patricia? And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Now I suppose seeing as you are the writer tell me a little bit about the storyline of Guinness and uh, Coke. It's, it's, It's to do with a father and son. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's based on a reworking of a story from my childhood, actually. Um, it's kind of gone on quite a nice journey during the pandemic because we all, all obviously had so much time to, to, <laughs> to kind of live about the house. I wrote down the story that I used to tell for years. And um, uh, basically, it's based on my own childhood, whereby I used to go around with my dad on the weekend and travel all over Ireland. And uh, it's, it's just had an amazing journey. Basically, I wrote it, uh, started into a Francis McManus short story competition, uh, off the back of that, it basically got shortlisted at 4,000 stories. And then from there, the Department of Education has picked it up and put it on the junior star curriculum. And now we've been lucky enough to get money from Screen Ireland to make it into a short film. Brilliant. So it's been kind of a really lovely kind of um, trajectory. And, um, it, and it's um, Oscar is the young boy and his father, Hugh. So it's the bond between Oscar and Hugh, is it? Exactly, yeah. And it's a little bit surreal, I guess, because I'm casting for a young me, which has been a bit, bit weird. <laughs> but um, it's not, nothing to do with it being any likeness to me. I, I guess what we're really looking for is just to find, um, you know, uh, any sort of child who's any sort of um, interest that's ever any kind of want to act. It's not like we're looking for someone who looks like me or that acted like me, but more so just looking for really enthusiastic children. Uh, we're looking to try something different. Um, and I guess it might sound a bit intimidating to people who haven't done that before, but I guess the key is just people who, who might have an interest, really. Mm. We're, we're lovely. <laughs> and we're just trying to hear and um, hear from as many people as possible, you know. Yeah, and and in the in this in this movie, you're you're about thirteen at the time, so it's around a thirteen-year-old you're looking for. It is, yeah. I guess like what we're really looking for is you know someone who's thirteen uh, has turned thirteen by March third, um, okay. but someone who might look a little bit younger, ideally. So you know, really someone who's maybe te- like might look ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, but that is. That is 13. They have to be 13. That's the only kind of stipulation. Um, and can you know, they... I know, I know you're yeah. saying that they don't need acting experience, but if there's somebody listening whose son does have a bit of acting experience... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, totally. It's not... It, I suppose the thing is, we don't want to... Yeah, we just don't want people to be intimidated to think, oh, God, I've never I done know. any acting before. Or, But, yeah, of course, if people are, come from an acting background or singing or dancing or any sort of performance at all, that's also totally welcomed. Um, but it also might be that you just uh, want to try something different or, you know, it's very much wide open, really. And who's playing the part of uh, the dad and your dad in it, you? <laughs> ongoing, an ongoing struggle. Oh, is uh, it? It's, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're aiming high, put it that way. Okay. Um, and we, yeah, we're, we're still in talks with a couple of different actors. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the, the aim is to try and get someone um, high profile, which would be exciting for whomever... Whomever, whoever is the Oscar in the end of the day as well. Now, obviously, we know how beautiful West Cork is. Why did you select West Cork? Mm, it's interesting because the, the original story um, was set in Antrim, actually, in Rathlin Island. But because of the nature of it being through Screen Ireland, we had to shoot it in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, I'm from Cork. The production team are from Cork. I actually travelled all along the west coast of Ireland, went all up along the Wild Atlantic Way, went to Inishbotham and Clare Island and all up around there. But, you know, West Cork is, is, is home, like Cork is home. 
and you know I just met so many wonderful people and it's, I've adapted the street basically to suit West Cork and it's just one of the most beautiful parts of the country and I suppose a small bugbear of mine is how much Cork is overlooked mm. in terms of shooting in Cork as well you know you've got studios in Wicklow and Dublin and Limerick now but um, Cork isn't shot in so frequently and it's the most beautiful part of the country in my eyes so it just made yeah. a lot of sense to, to shoot it there. Yeah, because you know? we were talking about the, the, the Banshees of Inna Sheeran uh, earlier and that was one of the things when, you know, when I watched that movie, the scenes out on Ackle Island were absolutely gorgeous. But I was watching it thinking they could have shot that on any of the islands in West Cork. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, <laughs> the Iron Islands, you can imagine they were already swamped beforehand. It's going to be even worse now, you'd imagine, off the back yeah. of the Banshees. Yeah. Um, but like, it's funny, like I went to Inish Boffin and it's just untouched. And I'm not saying that we should all, we should all go and swamp Inish Boffin and ruin it. But like such beautiful islands, like in Bear Island, I met some lovely kind of like pub owners and stuff around there. And, you know, it's amazing how um, little people travel to those islands, you know, mm. uh, Cape so, Clear, Shirkin. It's just, yeah, gorgeous, so so, really so have you decided exactly where in West Cork you will be shooting or can you say? <laughs> I can, yeah. I mean, the, the aim is basically to shoot around um, the Bear Peninsula. I mean, there's, okay. there's more specific places within that. But yeah, the whole thing is going to be condensed to the Bear Peninsula. Um, it kind of needs to be I guess from a shooting perspective because we shoot across three days you know so just in terms of you know how jagged and windy those roads are yeah, <laughs> you need yeah, to be a bit yeah. clever so you, you, so you hope to get it all done over three days we will we have to oh you do okay <laughs> we have to yeah yeah so we, we shoot across those three days the 4th, 5th, 6th of March um, and then we finish the film by the end of May um, and then that's all Pilot Screen Ireland's kind of programme is that we then premiere in Galway at the FLA in July Okay, any hopes Any hopes you might bring it to maybe the Fastnet Film Festival? Oh, 100%. Love Fastnet. <laughs> Love the ladies there. Yeah, pa- Pauline. Pauline uh, Cotter. Uh, Pauline. Uh, yeah. Pauline's listening. Big shout out to Pauline. I, I yeah. adore Pauline. And, if, uh, and um, listen, when you're filming, if you need anything and you're stuck for anything, we always direct people to Pauline and she's them sorted out straight away. Uh, pa- Pauline, Hillary and Helen, are honestly, some of my They're great. People. They're that's great the, people. That's, that's the thing as well, though. You know, it's like, I suppose you asked why, why Cork, but, you know, by being from Cork, but also like uh, just the friendliness of people, you know, people are so willing to help and accommodate. And it's just one of those things when it comes to short filmmaking, whereby you need all the favours you can get. And people have already been amazing offering us sheep and boats and dogs and <laughs> all sorts of things, you know, but that's kind of what you need, you know, you really need to get the community on board. And that's, I suppose, uh, in some ways, the reason I'm talking to you <laughs> is to see yeah, if people and are, listen, are and, and listen, and, you know, um, we love to show off our county. We particularly love to show off West Cork. So anything that we, you know, that can help with showing off this beautiful place where we live to others, you know, more than willing to get involved. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that's my hope. I okay, guess. and and then is there? Is, is, there's the two main Oscar and Hugh. Are there other parts as well? Or are there other there, people? There are, there are. Yeah, there's some other parts. I mean, that's that's the other thing too. Like we're we're open to hearing from anyone and everyone. Really, there's some some smaller parts outlined here and there. And I guess that'll be a blend of um, more established actors and local actors. And yeah, I, I guess community really is the buzzword. Really trying to get a community kind of, of spirit, be that either actors or talent or um, everything, really. And how, how do people apply? Uh, that's a good question. I have it written down here. So <laughs> from a cast perspective, I guess from everything really, but particularly for, for anyone who's interested in applying for the role of Oscar, um, they can send applications to Guinness and Coke at on, O-N, heritage.com. So that's uh, obviously the name of the film is Guinness and Coke. Um, and then at On Heritage is the production company. Okay. And that's uh, onheritage.com. And if you didn't catch that right now, they could also go to uh, any of Heritage's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
I know the details on that as well. They have the I mean, because do you need photographs when people are are applying? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think exactly. Yeah. So yeah. If people want to, if they want to go onto the the social media accounts, you'll see kind of exactly what we're looking for. But yeah, all we're looking for at the minute is just a photograph and um, just a little bit about um, our Oscar. You know, so what we're looking for really is just people to talk a little bit about their hobbies. Um, a little bit about themselves, uh, just in, in a text form, you know, it doesn't need to be a video, just a picture and just like a couple of words, just talking about themselves. And um, yeah, that's, that's what we said at this stage. Okay, well, keep in contact with this, Lachlan, and if there's anything else we can help you with, particularly around the filming, give us a shout. We'll be only too delighted and we can't wait to see Guinness and Coke when it gets its official at release. In the meantime, thank you for taking time out to talk You're to us today. You're a legend, Patricia. Thank you so much. Uh, Cheers. Bye-bye. Good Talk afternoon to you. Bye-bye. Lachlan and McKenna there, the writer and the director of Guinness and uh, Coke. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you Monday at 10. Until then, today Good afternoon. on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.